Well, it's good to see everybody. We're so glad you're here. Those of you who are here worshiping with us at our Battlefield campus and those of you that are watching online, we just love having, having you with us uh, every single week and just getting a chance to hear some of your stories has been really fun. Uh, we're in week two of a series through Hebrews, which is an amazing book, and, and we're going to dig into Hebrews. We've got over two months' worth of sermon series. We have a daily podcast Monday through uh, Friday. We have some sermon-based small groups through Hebrews, and Hebrews is a great book. It's a tough book. It's got some challenging passages. Some of the best passages in the New Testament are in Hebrews, and uh, I really believe God's going to do something here. And, and one of the things, if you had to just get a basic understanding of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews is just saying this. Uh, this is really the theme of Hebrews, that Jesus is greater than. Now, I just remember as a kid, and, and you ever have something in school, like in mathematics, that just sort of hung you up, that it was, it was simple and everybody in the class got it, but you just couldn't get it? Anybody have anything like that? Yeah, me, like a lot for me. But it was the greater than, less than thing. I don't know, it was like second grade or whatever. That, I just could not get that because it didn't make any sense that the, the greater number, it felt like the arrow should point to the greater number instead of what, does anybody else, did, did that, some of you are like, no, I totally got that. And like teachers, if you're a teacher, we love you, but teachers would say like crazy stuff. Like, no, uh, it's like an alligator. The alligator's mouth always eats the big number. If I'm an alligator, eat the smaller one first, right? That's, it didn't make sense to, 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 to me. And so I just could never get that. So we put the greater than sign. Yeah, that was a greater than sign. So, so really, um, the bigger number would have been on the, the, the left, right, to the open end. And that, that just didn't make sense. So consequently, I would ascribe greater worth to a, a lesser number, which is a problem, Right? And, and, and I think the, the bigger problem is, is this. It's really kind of the point of Hebrews. If we're not careful, we do that. We ascribe more worth uh, to, the, to the wrong thing. And that, that's what we're going to see in this, this story. Now, Hebrews was written to a group of first century Jewish Christians who had left Judaism. In other words, they weren't trusting in the sacrificial system for their standing with God. They had converted and were trusting in Jesus for their salvation. But they were having a very difficult time because the Romans didn't like them, because the Romans didn't want anybody worshiping anything uh, except Caesar and their gods. And the Jews, their Jewish brothers and sisters, in some cases parents, didn't like it because they'd left that for them, that old-time religion, so to speak. So they were facing persecution on, on both sides, very difficult. And we know that the, the book of Hebrews was written uh, pretty early uh, in the New Testament age. It's, it's before 70 A.D. because we know that's when the, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So that just gives us a little context. But the, the, you have a group of Jewish Christians who are just thinking about walking away. They're just really saying, I don't know that it's worth it. I don't know that following Jesus is worth it. It seems like our life has gotten harder instead of easier uh, now that we are followers of Jesus. And so they're thinking about giving up. And so I, I think this is true for us. I think at some point we all feel that way. If you're a follower of Jesus, at some point you're, you're saying, I don't know if it's worth it. Like I thought temptation would have gone away. I thought my marriage would have been better. I thought this would have been better. I'd, I, I thought God would have done something here in this area of my life. And so at some point we're thinking about walking away. And, and I love this. We're going to get into Hebrews in just a second. But one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in John chapter 6. Jesus had just been teaching one of his first sermons, early sermons, and it's some hard truth. He's making some demands on people's lives. And, and there's like a massive crowd there to hear Jesus because, you know, people had heard like he, he takes a, a kid's meal and feeds 5,000. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people are hearing. So everybody's around. And Jesus starts teaching. And the crowds are like, check, please. We're out. They leave. And Jesus gathers uh, his closest disciples. He says, uh, 
hey, what about you guys? You want to walk away too? And in verse 68, I love what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter says this. He said, where would we go? You've got the words of life. It's pretty good truth, isn't it? Right? He says, yeah, it's, it's hard, Jesus, but like, where would we go? And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is wanting to do. He says, the, the, the message in Hebrews is, is, is pretty simple. He says, uh, don't give up. Christ is greater than all things. Christ is greater than any idol that you have in your life, anything that you can manufacture in your heart, any pleasure. Uh, Christ is greater. He's greater than your fears. He's greater than your failures. He's greater than your mistakes. Uh, the, the theme of this amazing book is Christ is greater than, right? So let's jump in. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. You guys ready today? Ready to go? If you're watching online, we can't, we can't hear you. But we're going look to at, look at a lot, a lot of scripture. Uh, and, and, and we're going to start in verse 3, and, and uh, we're going to go all through chapter 1, and then we're going to uh, pick up a, a short section in chapter 2. Uh, but here we go. Starting in verse 3, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And this is some good theology here. This is some good doctrine. This is some good truth that you need to know. He says, what is Jesus? Jesus is the son of God, and he is the exact representation of God's glory. He's not junior varsity, Jesus. He is God uh, in the flesh, sustaining all things. Is that a good word? You ought to underline that in your Bible because sometimes we feel like the world's just spinning out of control or it looks like the world is spinning out of control. But what does the writer of Hebrews say that Jesus is doing right now? He is sustaining all things. You see that in Colossians 1.17, again, holding all things together, sustaining all things by his powerful what? Word, right? After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer of Hebrews is going to use this uh, image of Jesus sitting down several times to show a completed action. This is so good. I have to tell you personally, one of the reasons why I love Hebrews so much is that it brought so much peace to my soul. When I understood that Jesus had sat down after he'd made a sacrifice, that meant that the sacrifice that Jesus made was complete. There's not anything that I could add to it, right? It was all sufficient. He sat down at the right hand uh, of the Father. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 4, and let me set this up just a little bit for you. Every generation has sort of an idol du jour, right? Every generation inside the church has something that we kind of focus on that is less than the Lord Jesus, and it, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It's just the church just kind of gets captivated with something that isn't as important as Jesus, and so what you're about to see is, is what this first century group of Jewish Christians were focused on. They were like super focused on angels, and like for us, we're like, man, that is like weird because of sort of Renaissance art. We see angels as, you know, chubby and wearing diapers. And we're like, that's like a, a goofy thing to be about. But that, that, first of all, that's not what angels are like. In fact, if you study scripture and you see angels, every time an angel appears, the person they appear to is, is uh, the angel has to tell them, don't be afraid. In other words, don't die because of what they've just seen, the majesty uh, of this, this being. And, and angels delivered the law, and, and so they had a, had a focus on and angels. And so the writer of Hebrews, now this is one thing I love. I have so much to tell you today. And some of you are like, well, get to it. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that are thinking about throwing in the towel and leaving, walking away from their faith commitments. He doesn't beat them up about it. He just shows them a clearer picture of Jesus because he knows that once they see Jesus for who he is, that it'll change everything about them. Is that kind of cool? Right? And, and if you'll hang in here and study with us over the course of the next, uh, next couple of months, I think you'll see Jesus in ways that you've never seen him before, and it'll change everything about you. I, re I really believe that. So now here we go in verse 4. 
here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's, he's going to show how Jesus is greater than angels. And you say, well, I'm not into angels, so I'll just kind of check out. No, but the principles that he's going to show about the greatness of Jesus are going to transfer into every area of our life. So he became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The name of Jesus, Messiah, long-awaited, anointed one, son of God. He is Messiah, and they were messengers. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, Messiah is greater than a messenger. Would you agree with that? Right? That, that's the case that he's making. Verse, verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and you will be my son. He's saying Jesus is the long-awaited, he's the son of God, he's co-equal with the father, he's son of God, these are just servants of God, which one's greater? Remember, the alligator eats the <laughs> big one. And again, when God said to his firstborn, send his firstborn into the, one, into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. In other words, he's saying, hey, guys, do you know what angels are doing right now? They are worshiping Jesus. They are in awe of Jesus, and they're worshiping Jesus, and you're trying to worship them. And so that, that's a little uh, messed up. He says, Jesus is worthy of your worship. And any time we grow in our awe of something, our worship always follows. And that's what's going to happen through Hebrews, I think that our awe factor is going to increase as it relates to Jesus. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he said, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has set you above uh, your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So he's saying again, angels are servants, but Jesus is is king, right? He's king, which means he has authority over all things. So he is greater than, than angels, right? And if he, think about this, if Jesus is king, do you believe Jesus is king? Yes. Jesus is king, that means he has a kingdom. And so he's going to be calling us to be involved in his kingdom and not get so sidetracked with things that don't really matter. The church has had a history of that uh, uh, throughout the years, just getting sidetracked with things that just don't matter as much instead of engaging in the kingdom. He also said, verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. What does that mean about Jesus? Jesus is creator, right? That's pretty good deal. And the heavens are the work of your hands. Look at everything you see. He has created it. They will perish, but you remain. Talking about Jesus, he is creator, then he is eternal. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So we think about Jesus versus the angels. The angels are created beings. Jesus is the creator, right, co-equal with the Father, and he is eternal, which means his days will never end. And it's not so much what he's saying here, which is so cool and I love. It's not so much thinking about the eternality of Jesus as just this linear concept, but he's saying that he's inexhaustible, like you'll never get tired of him. He will never grow old. Is that a good thing? Like all throughout eternity, Jesus will never grow old because there's just more and more and more layers of who he is, right? Like in technology, you get the latest technological advance and in like six months, you're like, I'm over that. Remember fax machines? Wow. Like that's the, for me, when that happened, I thought, that's the end. Never could be anything better than that, 
right? Now you don't even have one. But he, he, he's saying, Jesus never wears out. He just gets better and better. Verse 13, to which of the angels did God, did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Meaning Jesus is victorious. Just like the last series we looked at, he's never lost. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the writer of Hebrews is saying, really the point of angels is they're meant to minister to you, right? But, but you have this opportunity to worship him. It's, it's very different. So Jesus is greater than the, the, the angels. Now, think about this. What did he just say? Messiah over the messenger. He's a son of God. He, uh, he's king over the servants. All, all those things. He is creator. He is eternal. He is victorious. Very important. Now the sermon needs to begin. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. That was just introduction, right? We just tailgated for a little bit. That's all we did. Now we're ready to go. Here's where we're going to be today. This is super important. Some of you are like, oh gosh. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. And and what have we heard? We have just heard about the majesty of King Jesus and how he is superior to angels, that he is creator, that he is sustainer, that he is eternal, that he has made purification for sin, that he is setting at the right hand of the majesty of God. You have to pay most careful attention, therefore, to what you have heard so that we do not watch it. Do what? Drift away. That's all we're going to talk about today. Can I just tell you something? Please listen. If you're watching online, please listen. There is a real current. There is a real current in the culture that we live in that is, that is constantly pulling us away from the will and the ways of God. There is a real current. And if you don't understand there's a drift, then you're going to find yourself and your family on the rocks and, and, and with, with destruction like we've, we've never thought. That's what he's saying. We have to be so careful that we do not drift away for since the message spoken through the angels was binding, it binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Verse 2 is kind of a tough passage, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, I mean, what the angels and what the prophets, their message to you to follow the commands of God was true and binding, and if you violate those, there's some consequences uh, for that. In other words, you don't honor your father and mother, which we saw in the law that was given to Moses, then that's going to have an effect on your days life. And, 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 and they would all say, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But then look what he's saying in verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Meaning, if that was true about what the angel said and the prophet said, how much more is it true about what Jesus has said? You see that? Now, let's go to work for just a second about this one thing. So all we're going to talk about today. How do we avoid the drift? How do we avoid the drift? Avoiding the drift. That's it. That's all we're going to talk about today. I remember as a 10-year-old boy, we used to go, every summer, we'd go to Daytona Beach, Florida. Anybody grow up doing that? Man, we just went. I loved it. It was so fun. I remember as a 10-year-old boy, like as a 10-year-old boy, you're not really into helping your dad unload the car or get the room set up. Like you just want to do one thing. You want to go to the, don't go to the beach. I want to go to the beach. I want to go to the beach. I want to go to the beach. So, you know, my dad's, dad says, all right, right? I think he's just one, he's out of his hair. He said, but, but I want you to stay behind our hotel. Notice back in the day, in the 70s, you didn't stay in a condo. You stayed in a hotel, right? And so stay behind our hotel. And you can go out there. And if I come out, boy, and you're not behind our hotel, when I come out, you're done for the day. Got it. Got it. Absolutely. That's fine. It's a great deal. And so I just remember going out and getting into the surf, into the, the ocean there, and just playing 15, 20, 30 minutes. I don't know what time it was. But I just remember my dad, and he's calling me by my full name. That's never good, is it? Like my first name is Charles. Don't ever call me that. Nothing wrong. If your name is Charles, that's good. My name is Brady. Charles Brady Cooper. 
right? So he's, he's calling that, and I, I'm, I'm, I hear it, and I'm like, that sounds like my dad. That is my dad. And then in that moment, I look up, and I realize, I mean, the hotel that, that we're staying in is like way down the beach. And I'm like, how did that, I, that didn't intentionally happen, right? Everybody, if you, it didn't intentionally happen. I just wasn't, you know, I didn't realize that there was a drift. There was, a, there was sort of an undercurrent. And so I remember walking, I still remember, I'm a 10-year-old boy. I remember walking out after, you know, 16 hours of driving, can't wait to get to the beach or whatever, whatever it was. I spent the rest of the day back in the hotel with a burn, but it wasn't from sun, if you know, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Can I tell you something about the drift? You don't have to do anything to drift, you don't have to do anything to drift, right? You, you, you don't have any core commitments in your life. You just kind of go with uh, just convenience and comfort, and the drift just is. But you do have to make some core commitments to grow spiritually. That's really, really the truth. And there are many things in our life that can cause the drift. I mean, this is a, the world that we live in, there's a real current that's leading us away from where God would have us to be, leading your family away, leading your children away. Listen, I hear this all the time. We prayed about this with a young girl even today, this morning. There are things that fourth and fifth grade children are being exposed to today that are, that are mind-blowing, right? Do you know what that is? That's a drift. That's a current that's in the culture today that is pulling people away, right, coming from the enemy. And many things can lead us to, to drift, right? Suffering, when we go through a time of suffering, that's what's happening with these first century Jewish Christians. We're like, God, where are you? And we kind of lose focus. We start to drift. Opposition, you know, we face some opposition for our faith. We can be prone to drift. Busyness in our culture, like just being like super busy, neglecting some core commitments that can cause the drift. Sin in our life, just choosing just pleasure outside of the will of God, uh, causing uh, us just to move into an area of drift, hobbies, our hobbies can cause us to drift. COVID has caused the drift, right? So many of us have kind of got out of some core commitments due to this kind of crazy time in our world, and so the drift is on. So how do we avoid the drift? How do we break free from the drift? Let's look at two things that we see in Scripture. Uh, the first one is this. If you want to avoid the, the drift, and can I just tell you something? Gosh, this isn't like a suggestion. This is a matter of life and death. The drift is, right? The drift is. And you know that, right? You've seen that to be true in your life. You've seen it in the life of others. But, but here's some things that we have to do to fight it. Number one, we have to be anchored in truth. We'll put a picture of an anchor just to remind us that, you know what, first of all, we've got to be anchored. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing all throughout chapter 1. He is showing the supremacy of Christ in all things. Like correct, listen, listen, correct doctrine will anchor your soul. I hear so many people in the church today is like, you know what, I'm just not into doctrine. But listen, doctrine, what is doc doctrine is correct beliefs about the nature of God. You better be into it or you're going to drift. Because listen, watch this. There's a danger. Would you agree? I'm getting some rough looks. Would you agree there's a danger in being your own doctor? Like we, have, we have several neurosurgeons that go here. I think it's probably a, I, I would counsel against them doing their own brain surgery, right? Wouldn't you? There's a danger in being your own attorney. Like I, Amy and I, we, 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 we love sort of legal shows. And anytime somebody is representing themselves, I know this, they lost. They lose or you're out. You're going to lose, right? You lose all objectivity. So there's a danger in being your own doctor. There's a danger in being your own attorney. There's a danger in being your own barber, right? You say, well, how do you know that? I know that. 
Well, listen, there's people, there were some guys who gave me a hard time in the, in the last service. But uh, I cut my own hair. I got all these guys. There's always guys in my life, like guys with great hair. They're like, man, you just need to shave that. I'm not. The ring of honor, I'm hanging on to it, buddy. Nobody's touching it. <laughs> when they bury me, there'll be a ring of honor here. Deal with it. You shave your hair, pretty boy. <laughs> right? But uh, here's a problem. Like, I go and shave my hair, and I, I come back in, and Amy's like, she's like, okay, sit down. Because every single time, no matter how much time I take, I miss a spot. Like, I've come here after I've shaved my hair, and, and you know, just come into the office, and somebody's like, hey, Pastor Brady, I just want to tell you something. There's a big, like, spot in the ring of honor that you missed. And so it's dishonoring uh, at that. That's right. Like, no matter how hard I try, being my own barber is not, not a good idea. No, here's the, here's the point. Here's the point. It's foolish. Only a fool would be their own God. Do you agree with that? It's foolish to be your own God. You say, well, how did you get there? Because, listen, if, if you don't have the correct doctrine or beliefs about God, then you create your own God. This happens all the time in the church. And here, here's the deal. Most people, when they create their God, it's so strange how their God is so much like them. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, he believes the same things that they believe. Like, he's into the same things that they, they believe. And, 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 and they always create a God who doesn't make any demands on them because he's a, he's a God of their own, really, their own desires, right? And that, that's foolish to do that. But if your life isn't anchored in truth about the true nature of God, then you will create your own God. And we just all agreed a few moments ago that it is foolish to be your own God, right? It's a foolish thing. Martin Luther said this. Martin Luther said this. We're all called theologians, just as we're all called Christians. Would you say that about yourself? We're all called theologians, just as we're all called Christians. You say, well, what is a theologian? Theologian is someone who just, just studies the nature of God, right? Is, is, is well acquainted in the, the nature of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I'm trying to memorize this. All the guys in my group are trying to memorize this because this is just great doctrine, right? Great doctrine. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. You want to be a better theologian? Just memorize Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 this week. There's some great doctrine there. And that doctrine... That doctrine, correct belief about the nature of God will start to anchor your soul, right? I mean, I can think of so many, if you're dealing with a lack of assurance of salvation, understanding that Jesus made purifications for your sin and then sat down at the right hand of God, completed action, does that help you, right? That what Jesus did was an all-sufficient payment? Help me. Is that good truth? Yeah. That'll anchor your soul, that he is sustaining all things. When you want to just get spun out every time you watch the news and think, man, this thing is crazy. It's left the rails. He is still sustaining all things. Do you believe that? That's what the word says. That's correct doctrine. And so what does doctrine do? Doctrine anchors our soul. It keeps us from drifting, right? Now, so anchor your life. Here's the point. Anchor your life securely in the supremacy of Christ, and you'll avoid the drift. Let me say it this way. If your definition or understanding of Jesus doesn't change everything about you, then we don't have a biblical definition of Jesus because it, it ought to impact every area of our life, the way we work, our relationships, how we deal with money, how we spend our time. You see, how you define Jesus or how you understand Jesus, how you define Jesus is ultimately going to define you, right? And so if you want to avoid the drift, the first thing that you have to do is you have to make sure that you're anchored in truth, right? I remember when I went to seminary, uh, I had a great experience. I loved it. I grew up in the church, but I was learning things as I was studying that I just never knew. And I, I just felt like, I, I, I still feel this way. I feel like everybody that wants an opportunity at that ought to have an opportunity at that. 
Everybody who wants to learn just more about theology, more about church history, I'm boring some of you guys, but, but everybody who wants that in the church ought to, ought to be able to get that. So we, we started here the New Vision Institute. It's kind of underneath, uh, you know, kind of under the waterline. We don't talk about it a whole, a whole lot. We have about 100 people who are, are in, enrolled right now. And so you can see there, if you're interested in, in, in learning more, all the classes are online. Our staff has put them together. They're online. You can kind of go at your own pace. But it is a chance to grow in your understanding of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus. I mean, you listen to podcasts on everything, don't you? But this is going to help you grow in your understanding of the nature of, of Christ. You can do it at your own pace. And so why is this so important? Because it will anchor your soul with the truth of God, all right? Let, let's look at the second thing, and then I'll be done. You guys still okay? Everybody all right? Good deal. Here we go. You have to be anchored in truth. And secondly, if you want to avoid the drift, right, uh, you have to raise the sail of obedience. Let's look at a picture here. But this kind of gets in, in our mind that we raise the sail of obedience. We have a picture of a sail. I hear a guy raising his sail. This really ought to be the manner of our life every day. We raise the sail of obedience. Uh, and that's what's going to catch as we raise the sail. I mean, you understand the mechanics of a sail, right? A, a sail going up uh, doesn't make a boat move. A sail going up catches the wind, which makes a boat move. But obedience is that way. When you walk in obedience to the Lord, then we have a chance to catch the power of God and propels our life out of the strong current of the drift of this culture, all right? So look, look, at, look at Hebrews 2, verse 3 again, the first part. The writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape? Escape what? The drift. If we ignore, ignore means to not uh, place a high value on, to be indifferent if we ignore so great a salvation. Like if you ignore uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ or neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to, to drift. Now, let me say this, and this won't, this won't hit everybody, but this is why some people have such a hard time with Hebrews because there's some, there's some tough passages in Hebrews that if you read them, it sounds like, man, it sounds like we could lose our salvation, and, 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 and that's confusing for me. That spins me out. The book of Hebrews is not so much about losing salvation but about neglecting, the dangers of neglecting our salvation. Does that make sense? Because it's a dangerous thing to do. And, and the drift, watch this, the drift in your life is always a result of neglecting your salvation, your devotion and your time with the Lord and worship and community and service. And so what's happening to these first century Jewish Christians is they appear to have grown less attentive to Christian instruction. Uh, they are giving up the assembling together so they're not meeting and worshiping like before. And so that's what's happening there, right? So we neglect something. Watch this. It's super important. We neglect something if we don't value it. We don't really value it enough. Like we have the opportunity to grow, but we don't really think it's that important because we don't value it, uh, value it enough. And so we get complacent and we just choose convenience in our life, and that kind of leads to a spiritual drift. But I want to I touch on something. Please hang here with me for just a moment, right? If you neglect something, you don't value it enough. But let me tell you something, how great your salvation is. Listen, you're saved by a great Savior. Do you believe that? The Son of God. Do you believe that? You are saved at a great cost. Do you believe that? The cost of the Son of God, yeah. And you are saved from a great penalty. Do you believe that? 
So that makes our salvation great. And, and we don't typically neglect things that are great things. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. How could you ignore such great a salvation? And, and one, of the reasons, one of the reasons why we neglect our salvation and just, you know, you know what, just are kind of given to convenience and complacency. In other words, we'll be at worship on Sunday morning if we don't have anything else going on or, you know, staying in the scripture is not something that's a real core commitment just because we don't value it. It's, it's, it we don't see it for what it is. And one of the reasons why is because we see salvation kind of the wrong way. We see it as merely something we've been given instead of something we've been rescued from. Does that make sense? And a great salvation, understanding a great salvation will lead to some great commitments in your life, right? And I think this, you may disagree with it, that's okay. I think your life and my life, net results of that is really a sum total of the commitments that we make. Is that true? Your life is really a sum total of the commitments you make, and we tend to make commitments to things that we think are worth it, that are great. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, there's nothing greater than your salvation. Invest in it. Invest in it. Don't neglect it, because if you neglect it, you will drift, and drifting is never going to lead anywhere good. I'll promise you that. Does that make sense? The drift never leads anywhere good. So so what are some core commitments that we can talk about just real quick before we're, we're done today? We think here at New Vision, we think uh, the first of the day, first 15 minutes of the day, define the day. First 15 minutes of the day, that's devotion. We have a podcast through Hebrews, 10, 15 minutes every single day. You can listen to it on your drive time. That's a core commitment that you ought to make. God, the first 15 minutes of my day belong to you. That's a core commitment. I'm not neglecting my salvation. We think the first of the week in worship is a non-negotiable commitment. Like there are things that can happen when we gather together with other believers consistently and worship the Lord together that can make a difference in our life. The weeks we can't be here because we have a sick kid or we have to be out of town or, or whatever, then we can watch online. We can stay committed uh, to that. We think that's an important thing. The first of my life in community, right? We want you to go, if, you're, if you've never been to Explore, we want you to, to follow us out to the porch right after this. We've got lunch for you. We're going to talk about a, a, how you can connect in community. We believe this, that one of the things that make a radical difference in you, not drifting, is having your life wrapped around other people who love for you and care for you deeply. Man, I'm not in a group because it's a good idea because I'm a pastor. I'm in a group because I need it. And I was with the guys in my group this past Wednesday night. We were just looking at a passage in Ephesians chapter 3. One of the guys just dropped some truth. And, man, I needed to hear it. It was encouraging uh, to me in my life. That's a core commitment. And it's not like every week I'm looking forward to going to group, right? It's not like, like every Wednesday night I'm like, awesome. Like I could go home and watch the Braves and eat or I could sit around with a bunch of guys. And, you know, and that didn't go over well with you guys. You see that? But if we value it, we value it like I need it. And so we keep those core commitments. If not, we drift. First of my time in, in, in ministry. We talked about this. Jesus is a king, and you said you agreed with that. So if he's a king, that means he has what? He has a kingdom. And so am I serving in his kingdom? I got to tell you a great story. We'll put Lucy's picture up. It's one of my favorite stories of the year so far. This is Lucy. Lucy's one of our college students, and Lucy's a cool young lady. Uh, Lucy's story is like so many others. Kind of grew up, grandmama taking her to church, sort of drifted away from God. She came to MTSU, went to college. A friend invited her to the point, our college service, and so she came, and God began to do a work in her life. She's born again. She gets a Bible. She's studying Scripture, and one night at the, one night at the point, they're talking about serving uh, in, a, in, a, in, in their local church, and so she was into theater as a high school student. So she started volunteering with our production folks. Lucy uh, works backstage. We have some great production people here that do an awesome job every single week. Uh, uh, every, nothing would happen here without them. And so she's the one that has the headset on. 
she's the one that sent uh, the piano player out just a minute ago to say that he's, his time is up. So some of you are like, I like Lucy. <laughs> Seems like it got a good job there. So anyways, it's two weeks ago at our Raised to Life service, our baptismal service. Some of you guys were here, right? It's the third service, you know? And, and she's on the headset, right? She's, on, she's on, working on, on the comm. And all of a sudden, she drops the headset, goes get a blue, sh- a blue shirt, and gets in line. She's the last person we baptize. <laughs> really cool. She said, you know what? I, just, I, need, I need to throw the cell up in obedience. God's called me to do that. I just need to obey. And she goes, and she's baptized, right? And then I came out of my, my little office that, that, that um, back there. I was getting something to drink, and I came out because I just wanted to kind of give her a nux. And she just walks right past me, grabs her headset. She's still wet. She grabs her headset and puts it on. She's back in the game. Let's go. Get out there. Is your mic on? That's what she said. I said, don't touch my mic. I'll get electrocuted. You're wet. You just got baptized for crying out loud. Isn't that a great picture of throwing the cell up? Jesus, what is it you want me to do? Go public with my faith, baptism? I'm in. Serve? I'm in. Right? Without that, we're just prone to, to drift. Hey, I want to talk specifically to all of you who are just watching online. Those of you who are here, you can take a break for a second. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. We've been struggling with this, like, how do we engage those folks who are watching online, folks who are watching in the D.C. area right now, folks who are watching in Portland, Oregon right now, so, so we're, we're glad. To, how do we engage you in, in ministry? So here's one of the things we're going to do this summer. We have this idea, this, this Rock the Block. We did it last summer. It is just a, it's just kids' ministry for one day or three days. The kids in your neighborhood are some friends that you have that you can invite to your home. We have everything you need. You can just take a Rock the Block box. We'll mail it to you no matter where you are. We'll mail this to you, and it gives you everything you need to have a one-day or three-day experience to introduce kids in your neighborhood or just friends that your, your children have to Jesus. And, and this is like a big goal. We're wondering if the month of July, if there couldn't be a rock the block in all 50 states. Wouldn't that be cool? And, and so just, just email us. Just let us know. Hey, send us a box. We're going we're gonna to give that, give that a whirl. Uh, Amy and I will be visiting the rock the block in Hawaii just to check on you to make sure that you guys are doing a good job. We want quality control. It's an important, important part of what we do here. So, but you can do that, right? Hey, let, let, me, let me close with this. I, I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, pay careful attention that you do not neglect your salvation. It's a warning. You know when you go to the beach, there are the flags at the lifeguard station. Red flag, I mean, it's pretty dangerous. You can get in, but you better be a great, great swimmer. Yellow flag, there still can be some currents. Pretty dangerous. Be super careful. Green, like conditions could change, but it, it's pretty mild. And I was looking this up, and there's another flag, purple. Do you know what, you know what the purple flag means? Oh, you're just mumbling. I can't hear you. You don't mean... Dangerous marine life. You're absolutely right. I wish you'd have told me that before. I never knew that. I could have cost me my life, and that'd be on, 100% on you. It means dangerous marine life. It could be a shark in the water or jellyfish. You know, I, I, I never, never knew that. So I'm, I'm going to watch those flags because they really mean take it very seriously. You got to take this very seriously. Can I just tell you something, church? Listen, can I tell you about the day that you live in, your children live in? I think it's a red flag. There's a dangerous current. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, if, if God is upset when we neglect the words of the prophets and the angels, how much more so if we neglect what the Son of God is calling us to? Can I tell you something? Listen, as I close. Church, to believers, I'm talking to believers now. There is a real danger in neglecting your salvation. 
The result is the drift. And when you're caught up in the drift, you will always end up someplace that you never seemed possible, costing you way more than you would have ever imagined. I think verse 3 has a message for the church. I think it's a great message for the non-believer. And it's really life's ultimate question. Look at it again. The writer of Hebrews says, how will we escape if we neglect, ignore, reject, same word, such a great salvation? The answer to that is we won't. There is no escape apart from Jesus. If you think you can come to God in any other way, you're wrong. He is greater than all things. And because he is greater than all things, he's the only means of salvation. And so you have a chance to accept that or ignore that. But he sat down after he made complete purification for your sins, watch this, so that you could have a standing with God. Isn't that good news? You could have a standing with God because we were dead in our sin. Can I tell you something? Don't ignore this great salvation because there is no other hope apart from it. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your powerful word. Teach us what it means to anchor our soul in truth. Show us how to throw the sail up in obedience and avoid the drift. In Jesus' name.